us all turn to the Word of God this evening. There have been times when we have introduced the reading of Scripture by saying, let us turn to this, this Word of Life, this book of books, this God-breathed Word. We can't say too much at all in favor of the Bible. God's Word is in front of us. The Bible's no ordinary book. It is, as we have said there, the God-breathed Word. So that puts it on a plane far, far above anything else in the world of literature. The Word of the living God. The Word that God has owned and honored and blessed. I believe He will bless it tonight he will bless it as we read. He will bless it as it's preached. We're encouraged by that. Second Kings chapter 4. We begin the reading at verse 1. We're going to read about a certain woman. The Lord's interested in everybody in this congregation. Everybody here tonight. Up in the gallery. Down here in the main area of the church building. God's interested in you. Even a, a single person, if we take that one person right out of the rest of the congregation for an inquiry, it can be said on the strength of this passage, God has your name. He has your dwelling place on this earth. He's interested God is interested in you. Follow the reading now. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come. To take unto him my two sons, to be born men, to be slaves. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thine handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. And she probably said that in such a fashion as to indicate uh, that's of no value. That's nothing. That's nothing. Just a pot of oil. That's all. I'm sure that's the spirit in which she speaks. Then he said, Go borrow the vessels abroad of all thy neighbours, even empty vessels, borrow not a few. When thou art come in, I shall shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shall pour out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him. 
and shut the door upon her and upon her sons who brought the vessels to her. And she poured out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said unto her son, Bring me yet a vessel. He said unto her, There is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay thy debt, and live thou and thy children of the rest. And it fell on the day, and Elisha passed to Shunem, where was a great woman. Verse 1, it was a certain woman. She's important too. But here is a person who is outstanding in the community because it said she's a great woman. So that makes you stop. It makes you pause in the reading, considering that elevation of her character. There was a great woman. I believe there are great women in this congregation tonight. God's gracious in that matter. Anyway, she constrained him to eat bread. And so it was, as oft as he passed by, he turned in thither to eat bread. And she said unto her husband, Behold, now I perceive that this is an holy man of God which passes us or passes by us continually. Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. It's not only the room. But it's furnished, she says, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in the other. And it fell on a day, and he came thither, and he turned into the chamber and lay there. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word, even in this hour, for his name's sake. Let's open our Bibles again, please. 2 Kings chapter 4, the 10th verse of 2 Kings, the 4th chapter, and it speaks of this great woman speaking to her husband concerning the prophet Elisha. And she says in verse 10, Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall. And let us set for him there a bed, and a table, and a stool, and a candlestick. And it shall be when he cometh to us 
that he shall turn in thither. Let us make a little chamber and set for him a bed, a table, a stool, and a candlestick. Let's pray together and ask God for his grace and for his help this evening. Let's pray. Father, we thank Thee tonight for the living waters. We thank Thee, O God, for the Savior who has promised, O God, to satisfy the hungry and satisfy the thirsty whenever they come to Him in simple childlike faith and trust. And, O God, our Father, we pray tonight that Thou wilt manifest Thy presence and speak to our hearts Grant, O God, that there might be those who, like Elisha, might come and turn in and even abide in thy presence. Glorify thy Son and grant the help of the Holy Spirit. We're so poor and needy, Lord, and we need thee so much. And we just ask now, O Father, that thou wilt send thy Spirit and make the remainder of this meeting a blessed, blessed time. Take full control, Lord. Manifest thy presence and power and grant the infilling of God the Holy Ghost. Save the lost. Encourage the saints. Glorify thy Son. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. There can be absolutely no doubt whenever you read the Word of God, Old Testament, and knew that the Lord has a tremendous interest in women. There are many women in Scripture that did the Lord a wonderful work of service. If you think about the New Testament, the Lord's mother Mary, we think of Elizabeth there, the wife of Zacharias, we think of Anna the prophetess, a woman of her great age who served the Lord with fastings and prayers night and day in the temple, Mary Magdalene, the woman with the alabaster box. Mary and Martha, Dorcas and Lydia, many saints of God who blazed a trail for the Lord in New Testament scriptures were women. And so it is whenever you go back to the Old Testament. You've got Miriam, Deborah, Ruth, Hannah, Esther to name but a few. And then there are many other women in scripture whose names are not given. And yet the Lord used them wonderfully and the Lord used them mightily. And it's also interesting to note the many women that the Lord personally visited and saved by His grace in Old Testament and New Testament Scripture. And maybe tonight you're in this meeting and you're a saint of God and you're a woman and I want you to know tonight that the Lord is able to bless you and use you. Maybe you're a woman tonight in the meeting or a young woman and you're not yet converted. Jesus Christ is able to meet you at the point of need and do a deep, lasting work in your life. And here in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verse number 8, we read about a woman in a place called Shunem. Her name is not given, but she is described in verse number 8 as being a great woman. She was great in so many ways. She was a woman of great note in her community. She was well known, a great woman in her society. We believe as well that she was a great woman financially. She was a great woman also with regards to her love and with regards to her hospitality. 
And she was also a woman of great discernment. Because in verse number 9, she turned and says to her husband, concerning the prophet of God, Elisha, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God, which passeth by us continually. And so she was an observant woman. She couldn't help but notice that so often this man would pass through her locality and pass through her community. And she had come to believe and discern and perceive that Elisha was a holy man of God. And she had a love in her heart for him and a desire to show him hospitality. And so we could learn as well from that that this woman was also a great woman of spirituality. She had a love for God's people. She had a love for God's servant. She had a love for the word that he declared. And she wanted to be a blessing even to him. And her hospitality is seen in verse 10. Whenever she says to her husband, Let us make a little chamber, I pray thee, on the wall or in the side of her house or within the walls, and let us set for him there a bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick, and it shall be when he cometh to us that he shall turn in thither. Here's a woman of means, and she's using her means to glorify the Lord. I want this servant of God to enjoy a place where he can uh, set aside from the work that God has given and enjoy some time to himself, and let's make for him a room or a shelter or a closet. And she's showing hospitality. And I believe even in that there's wonderful spiritual truth and spiritual application. She's making room for him within her dwelling. And did not our Lord Jesus Christ say concerning heaven, in my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And it's not just that the Lord has prepared a little room for his people in the Father's house, but as it says in our authorized version, he has gone to prepare many mansions for his people. And so it's wonderful tonight to know that there is a place in the kingdom of God for any sinner who will come on God's terms and like Elisha will come by faith. You see, it says in verse number 10 that he had to come when he cometh. Has there been a time in your life whenever you've come to the Savior? When he cometh, it says he shall turn in, a turning from the road that he's on, and a turning aside and entering into this chamber, entering into this room. And so whenever a sinner comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, there needs as well to be a turning, a turning from self and a turning from sin and a turning to God in faith and a turning to God in repentance. And then there's also a sense of abiding. It ends in verse number 11, that whenever he came in thither and turned into the chamber, he lay there. It was a place for him to abide. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, if any man abide in me, the Bible speaks about abiding, continuing, persevering, remaining, 
staying in close communion and in close fellowship with Christ? Has there been a time in your life whenever you've come to Christ? Has there been a turning moment in your life whenever you've turned from the road that you're on and you've turned aside and beheld the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world? Moses said concerning the burning bush, I will now turn aside and see this great sight. Have you ever turned and beheld the great sight of Jesus Christ upon the cross and then fallen at his feet and lay there and trusted Christ as your own eternal Savior? Not only did she provide a chamber for Elisha, but she furnished it as well. And the furnishings are mentioned there in verse number 10. They're very simple. A bed and a table and a stool and a candlestick. And I believe those four items of furniture have wonderful significance for us as we live the Christian life and for those who turn and trust in the Savior. Let's look at these four items of furniture in the Shunammite's chamber. First of all, the bed. What do you use a bed for? Very simple. A bed to sleep in. The bed speaks of sleep. The bed speaks of rest. And there were times undoubtedly whenever the prophet of God was weary and tired and needed a place to lay his head. And so she saw to it that the first thing she put into this room was a bed for the prophet of God to sleep in. I know a certain minister and they erected a a wooden hut out there in his garden as a study. He says, I've got a desk in it, I've got all my books in it, I've got my chair in it. And he says, I've also got a bed in it. So whenever I get tired, I can go for a little afternoon siesta and an afternoon sleep. And I thought to myself, well, it's well for some. If I had a bed in my study and lay down in it, I'd probably sleep for the rest of the day. But it's important, isn't it, to have a comfortable bed to sleep in. The bed speaks of sleep. It speaks of rest. And whenever you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you turn and you enter in, there's a place of rest. A place of rest from sin. One of the great invitations of the gospel is Matthew 11 and verse 28 where the Lord Jesus Christ said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm sure there's some in the meeting tonight others that are listening and online, maybe somebody that downloads the message at another time, and you fall into that category of being an individual in this world that is weary, tired of life, tired of living. Not only weary in a physical sense, but weary emotionally, and weary perhaps mentally, and wearied with all of the struggles and all of the trials of life and maybe wearied spiritually, and heavily burdened and heavy laden, like pilgrim in pilgrim's progress, with a tremendous burden upon your back and upon your shoulders, upon your mind and upon your heart. It might be the burden of guilt. It might be the burden of fear. It might be the burden of some habit that you cannot break free from. It might be a sense of futility. It might be the fact that life seems to be so empty and so hollow. Or it might, as you acknowledge, just be the burden of sin and you're troubled and weighed down by sin and by care and by a life without God. 
And you've got no rest in this world and no peace in this world. You know, we used to sing a little hymn, a little chorus with the boys and girls. We sang it ourselves when we were young. Let the Lord have his way in your life every day. There's no rest and there's no peace until the Lord has his way. Place your life in his hands. Rest secure in his plans. Let the Lord, let the Lord have his way. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, the Lord spoke a lot about the burdens and the cares of life, our food, our clothing, our stature, tomorrow, the future. And he speaks about all of these things and all of these cares and all of these thoughts. And he says, but listen, you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things shall be added on to you. And sometimes we allow ourselves to be heavy laden and weighed down with the cares of this world. That's one of the things that chokes the seed of the Word of God in our lives and doesn't allow it to be productive whenever the seed was sown. In the parable of the sower, some fell among thorns and the seed grew up and it began to grow and develop and yet the thorns began to choke the seed and choke the, 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 the crop that was growing up and it became unfruitful. And the Lord says that the thorns represent the deceitfulness of riches and the cares or the burdens of this life. I wonder tonight, is there somebody in the meeting and you're laboring and you're heavy laden and you're weighed down with care and you've got no real peace and no real rest? Well then come to Christ and turn aside and enter in by faith in through the door that was opened at Calvary's cross and put your trust in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Bible says that he has made peace through the blood of his cross. And then you can enjoy the rest of the gospel for all of eternity. Rest from sin. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, the next verse, he speaks about rest of soul. Take my yoke upon you. And learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It's only whenever you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and enter into the joy of God's salvation, and you give the Lord legal right of access to the throne of your heart, that the Prince of Peace and the Prince of Life can reign upon your heart's throne. And you can enjoy that peace and that contentment of soul. The Son of God said in John 14, whenever he spoke about heaven, later on in the chapter he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. The Lord is giving his people a peace that the world knows nothing about. A peace that Paul said is a peace that passeth all understanding. Rest from sin. Rest of soul. And there's also such a thing as rest in sickness. Now in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 41, in verse number 3, the psalmist says that the Lord will make your bed in your sickness. Sometimes God's people get discouraged. And none of us are exempt from sorrows. None of us are exempt from trials. None of us are exempt from sickness. 
that the Lord is a God that is not only able to heal, but the Lord is a God who is also able to give grace in her times of trial and being laid aside. And there are many from her church fellowship that are laid aside tonight. Some are well stricken in years and some are confined maybe to a hospital bed or a bed in their home. But even there, they can enjoy the rest of the gospel. And then there's such a thing as enjoying rest in sleep. In John chapter 11 and verse number 13, whenever the Lord spoke about Lazarus, some people thought whenever the Lord says he sleepeth, that they thought, well, he means rest. He's taking rest and sleep. He's gone to his bed. And there is such a thing as physical rest. Even our Lord Jesus Christ needed sleep. Whenever the storm was raging in the Sea of Galilee, he was in the hinder part of the ship and he was sound asleep. He wasn't alarmed by the elements and by the things that the disciples were so afraid of. And it shows us our Lord's humanity. That that body that was prepared for him, it was a body like ours that needed rest and needed to enjoy sleep. And the Bible says that God giveth his beloved sleep. And what a wonderful thing it would be for you tonight to be able to go home to your bed and put your head in the pillow in the knowledge that your sins are forgiven and your soul is saved and you're on your way to heaven and to home. And then the Word of God speaks as well about a day of rest from service. Revelation 14, 13 speaks about the saints in glory. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord that they may rest from their labors and their works do follow them. You know, whenever we serve our Lord in this world that we live in now, because of the infirmity of the flesh and the weakness of the body, sometimes we get tired and we get weary and we get discouraged. But whenever a saint gets to glory, we will serve him forever. But it will not be a toil. It will not be a labor. We will be able to rest because we'll have perfect bodies made perfect in holiness. And we'll be able to serve and worship and magnify and glorify our Lord for all eternity. But at the same time, it'll be perfect rest. And the child of God will hear the words on that great day whenever they see the Savior face to face. Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful in that which is least. Come on, I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I wonder, will you hear the well done of God? Have you entered in tonight? Entered into God's chamber? Entered into God's house and God's home and God's family? Entered by faith and born again into God's kingdom and brought to a place of rest? The bed speaks of sleep. And then the next piece of furniture was a table. And that speaks of dining, that speaks of supper. A bed to sleep in and a table to sup at. Now the table, I believe, as we think about that, it speaks of three things. Surely it speaks of food. Everybody loves a good meal, especially in church circles. We enjoy sitting down at the dinner table after a busy day at work or a busy day in the home or a busy day looking after the children and the grandchildren. And it's lovely to be able to come in at night and close the door behind you and sit down and enjoy something to eat. And this woman knew that Elisha is not only going to be tired, 
But there will be times whenever he is hungry and times whenever he was going to be thirsty. So let's prepare a table before him. And the psalmist David in this 23rd Psalm, speaking of his God, said, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. It's asking Scripture, can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And of course, the answer to that is yes, He can. And in the wilderness of this world, there's a table spread before us in the gospel, and it is full of good things. Like the man in John, or Luke's gospel, chapter 14, that prepared a great supper. Sent the servant out at supper time to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. Come and turn in. There's a table, and it's spread peace and joy and forgiveness of sins and assurance of heaven and access to God in prayer and fellowship with the Almighty. Jesus Christ our Lord said, I am the bread of life. He that believeth in me shall never hunger. And he that believeth in me shall never thirst. You can try to fill your life with everything that this world can give. But it will still leave you empty. Hungry and thirsty and dissatisfied. But I want to tell you tonight about a table. And on this table there's food. And at that table you can be filled. And at that table you can be fed. And at that table, you can be satisfied. The table speaks of food. The table also speaks of favor. It speaks of grace. The parable of the great supper. That man sent the servant out at supper time to say to them that were bidden, come for all things, we're now ready. Many made excuses and they wouldn't come. And maybe tonight you won't come to Christ. And you've got many excuses about why you're not saved. And then he sent the servant out again. Late on in the evening into the highways and hedges. He says, call in hither the poor, the maimed, the halt, and the blind. People that couldn't afford to come. People that couldn't afford the food that was going to be set on the table. But they were called to come as they are. It's without money. And it's without price. It's all about grace. And the only way you'll ever be at the Lord's table and the only way you'll ever find yourself in God's kingdom, and the only way you'll ever find yourself one day in God's heaven is by grace and grace alone, God's unmerited favor. If you've been struggling with assurance and you don't really know whether you're saved or not, it's all about the grace of God, grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can't add to the grace of God or it's not grace at all. You cannot take away from the grace of God. The grace of God alone is able to save you tonight. I wonder, have you been brought into a place of favor with God? If you've been brought into the kingdom of God by grace, a place of food, a place of favor. Also, I believe, a place of fellowship. Man was created for intimacy and for fellowship with Almighty God. And sin has broken that relationship. But Jesus Christ, through His death upon the cross, has brought what the Bible calls the ministry of reconciliation. And the Lord delights in having fellowship with His people. 
And you know, the sad truth, the sad reality is that in these days that we are living, there are so, so many people who say that they are saved and say that they're on their way to heaven and say that they have been converted and say that they know the Lord, but it seems that they have absolutely no desire at all for fellowship with Him, just like the church at Laodicea. You know, there is a school of thought, and I, I, I have to say tonight, I can't fully embrace it, but I can see where people are going with it, that those seven churches, in many respects, typify seven ages of the church. I'm not sure that I can embrace that. But I can see the logic in it, especially here in the West, that the church at Laodicea seems to very much typify and represent the church in the West, the church in nations that are respectable and flourish and seem to be rich and increased with goods. And so often the spirit of the age reflects the spirit of the church. And the church at Laodicea did not recognize that they were poor and they were blind and they were naked and they were empty and they weren't really enjoying fellowship with the Savior at all. In fact, he was outside the door of the church. And he was knocking in the door and saying, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hear my voice and just opens the door, I will come into him and will sup with him. That means I will have fellowship with him and he with me. I wonder tonight, are you really walking in intimate fellowship with the Savior. The Lord delights in fellowship with his people. In fact, I think it's one of the hallmarks of true conversion that whenever a person is converted and brought to Christ and brought into the family and fooled of God, they begin to have intimate fellowship with the Savior. Did the Lord not say to Zacchaeus, as he stood at the bottom of that sycamore tree and looked up into the face of that crooked tax collector, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. Did the Lord not come after his resurrection to the disciples who had gone fishing and had taken nothing? Did he not say to them, come and dine with me? He loves to have fellowship tonight with his people. And I wonder, are you in fellowship with the Lord this evening? Are you walking with him? Do you spend time with him every day? Do you talk to him? Do you read his word and allow the Spirit of God to speak to you? Are you enjoying fellowship with the Lord? Whenever it comes round to the Lord's table, do you enjoy sitting for a few moments at the Lord's table to break bread and to partake of the cup and to look back to the cross and to enjoy fellowship with the Lord and to look forward to the day whenever He's coming back again? Friends, can I say tonight there is something wrong with a Christian who never, never finds time to sit at the Lord's table. The Lord's table, the Lord's supper is but looking forward to that day whenever we will sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And what a day that's going to be whenever people from every kindred, every tribe, every tongue and every nation shall sit together at the table of the Lord and enjoy fellowship with Him. So there's a bed to sleep in. There's a table to sup at. And you notice as well there's also a stool to sit on. That speaks of rest as well, but it also speaks of sitting 
in a new position. Do you remember the man of the Gadarenes? He was a wild man and nobody could tame him, nobody could bind him, no, not with chains, but all changed the day he met the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord delivered him from all of that demonic possession and oppression and set him free. And whenever the people from the city came to hear what had happened, they found this man. Do you remember what he was doing? He was sitting and he was clothed. And now at last he was in his right mind. He was in a new position and he was sitting. And whenever you get converted, you're brought into a new position with the Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says he has made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And that indicates that our Lord, of course, has ascended into heaven itself. And as it tells us in the book of Hebrews, He has entered into heaven itself, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of the majesty and high. And as God the Father looks at his Son, he sees all who have been redeemed by precious blood in him, as seated with him and brought into a place of being in a new position, sitting, clothed and in our right minds. And to sit at the Lord's feet is to be brought into a new position. It also speaks not just of position, but it speaks of instruction. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, Mary and Martha gladly received the Lord into their home. But there was a difference whenever they closed the door. Martha went into the kitchen and began to cook and to trail chairs across the floor and dust the place and clean the place, trying perhaps to impress the Lord with her service. But Mary sat at the Lord's feet and Mary heard his word. She was found sitting in the place of instruction. Many Christians are like Martha, and they get cumbered about much serving, and they get irritable, and they get critical, and they get bitter, and they begin to point the finger at other Christians, and then ultimately they begin to point their, point their finger at the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? And whenever we fail to sit at the Lord's feet and enjoy the Lord's word and enjoy the Lord's presence and sit in the place of instruction and be taught of the Lord, you can be sure and certain that you'll soon end up like Martha. You'll get out of sorts with God's people and you'll get out of sorts with the Lord himself and you'll begin to point the finger at other Christians and you'll dream up all sorts of things in your mind as to what they should be doing but aren't doing and you'll maybe get the wrong picture. The stool speaks of a place of instruction. It speaks of position. But I believe as well it speaks of intercession. A seat was provided for Elisha to sit on, probably to seek the Lord in prayer as he sat at that table. And you know, whenever you come to Christ and you turn in and you enter into God's kingdom, you will discover that there's a special seat that God has provided for all of his people. And it's called the mercy seat. A place where the Lord hears and a place where the Lord answers prayer.
and what should have been a throne of judgment has now become a throne of grace because of the Savior's precious blood that is sprinkled on the mercy seat. And you'll discover that not only is there a place to rest, and not only is there a place to enjoy fellowship with the Lord, but there's also a place to come and to cast all of your burdens and to seek His face in prayer and to obtain mercy and to find grace to help in time of need. Access to the throne of God in prayer. What a wonderful thing tonight it is to be a Christian. Not only to have your sins forgiven, but to have a place of rest, a place of fellowship, a place of prayer. And then you'll notice the last thing that there is in this little chamber, a candlestick. A bed for sleep, a table to sup, a stool to sit, and then, of course, a candlestick to shine. This little chamber was not a dark place. This little chamber ultimately would be filled with light. And whenever a person comes to the Son of God and they come to Him and they turn from their sins and they enter in and they sit down at the Lord's table or they lie down before Him, He makes me lie down beside green pastures, but He causes the light of the glorious gospel, as it says in 2 Corinthians, to shine in. The Son of God said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not abide in darkness. And the Scripture says about the light of the gospel shining in our hearts. And that's the difference between the Christian and the world. Remember the plagues in Egypt whenever there was a plague of thick darkness? The Bible says it was a darkness that could be felt. But all of the children of Israel had light in their dwellings. The light shines to us. The light shines in us. And then lastly, the light shines through us. People walking past this little chamber could see this man of God maybe sitting at that stool, sitting at that table, seeking God's face. And they could see that a light was on, a light in a dark world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Does a watching world see the light of the gospel in your life? The Bible says we have this treasure. It's in earthen vessels. Wonder do your workmates know what you believe? They might know you go to church, but they, do they know what you believe? What about your neighbors? Do your neighbors know what you believe and stand for as a Christian? What about your family, the people that you rub shoulders with? Do they see the light of the gospel in your heart and life? What a wonderful God tonight. A chamber, a bed, a table, a stool, a candlestick. May you come tonight, enter in, and experience the wonderful joy of God's salvation.